Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. I'm Sultan Ghaznawi, your host as usual, and today I'm excited that we will be taking a bird's eye view of the European language market, in particular Germany. My guest is Christina Jackman from Word Inc. Christina joins us to talk about how the translation industry in Europe has changed since she entered it almost 20 years ago. She then provides some helpful background on the German market before explaining how she thinks it has been affected by the pandemic. We talk technology, localization, and profit margins, then dive into the nitty-gritty about the German localization market in terms of how it has felt the effects of Brexit, what should LSPs abroad know before starting new partnerships in Germany, and what does the new year hold for the German economy, its localization sector, and Christina's company. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Christina. Thank you, Sultan. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, I'm glad you are here. Christina, uh, please uh, share a few words about yourself and uh, what you do. Yeah, thank you, Sultan. I'm happy to do that. To be honest, I'll be 45 soon. I know girls normally don't speak about age, but I don't mind. And (laughs) I've worked in the industry for more than 18 years now. And since 2007, I've been running my own company, Wording. Okay, Wording. Tell me a little bit about your company, what it does, what market or niche is it active in? Wording used to focus on end customers in uh, German, Austrian and Swiss market. Uh, Last year and a half, we've opened up to serving colleagues in international markets too, because we saw a need for top-notch translations into German for anyone willing to pay more for the highest quality. This is uh, something that, yeah, we offer nowadays but yeah as i said since 2007 we're on the market and most of our customers are end customers in germany austria or switzerland customers are even like mainly small medium-sized companies and uh, this is what we really have fun working with them because that's the same kind of attitude or philosophy that we have so that's fun to work with them A hundred percent. Christina, please tell me how did you find yourself in the translation and localization industry? What motivated you and how did you end up here? It was not a straight path. I can tell you that. I mean, if people ask for my CV, it's always that I say, hmm, my CV isn't a straight path. Originally, I was into real estate before studying languages with a focus on intercultural communication and psychology. And after I have been, I don't know if you know that um, kind of possibility in Canada, but we in Germany, we do have uh, an opportunity to become, to learn a profession by an apprenticeship. So that's a dual system where you go to school and um, you do work in a company. So this is what I did before in real estate, but that was not where I felt home, really wanting to work there all my life. It was always languages that uh, that were my passion. So the language uh, studies that I focused on, they led me to my first work afterwards. It was political lobbying before I ultimately uh, took me back to my passion for languages and cultures. And um, yeah, after some years, I finally started my own business after having a falling out with a former employer. I see. And uh, I believe you mentioned that uh, you started your company in 2007. It's, it's 
somewhat 13, 14 years from now, or since you have started your company, how did this industry evolve from your vantage point and how did it change since you have joined it? Yeah, well, quite a bit. I mean, we both know that. For example, early on, I was in the computer linguistics class and my professor swore to us that computers would not replace us in our lifetime. Yeah, I think we both know uh, how that went. Right, right. Yeah, but uh, I'm more interested in truly personal communication and what machines so far have not been able to replace which is, from my point of view, the interpersonal relationships. And uh, I really hope that stays like that for a little while, although I think it's amazing all the kinds of support that have come out of the human-machine interaction and the new possibilities it has created to us. So that's what changed a lot. I mean, in the beginning, I've been uh, more or less working with people all the time. We were interacting, we were communicating, and then they, they were talking about what they needed. And nowadays, it's more or less all via email, and you don't get to talk to your customers that much anymore. It's all more or less a digital thing nowadays. So with that in mind, from what I I understand um, you see more technology uh, making a headway into our industry and that's changing not just the way we are producing our output for translation but also the way we experience and our clients experience that that relationship with our industry is, is that my right understanding yeah that's exactly it I mean, I don't know how it is in Canada, but here in Germany, it has uh, it has changed a lot. And I hope that we will be able to rechange that again, because I would love to be more in contact again with clients and get some more interaction with them again, because that's to me, it's people business and it's all about relationships So and, and trust. And if you are not in contact, in a personal contact, how are you going to trust people for all these things that we have to do for them. I mean, get deep into their communication, understand the texts they are writing. Of course, it depends on the on, on the branch you're in or the industry you're in, but we do um, most of our things in corporate communication. And you do have to understand what the client wants to say between the lines. And that's difficult if it's only via briefing and email. Absolutely. And uh, with the lockdowns and the pandemic, it hasn't been uh, made any easier. In fact, it's it's going more into that direction, not just in our industry, but across the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Even though we tried to find some yeah video calls or kind of a Zoom call or whatever with our customers, it was not that easy. Absolutely. So our focus of conversation today is the German localization market. Why don't you give us some uh, background or to get started and then we'll dive deeper into specifics there. Yeah, I would love to. Germany is still the largest market within the EU with approximately 1.25 billion in translation and interpreting services in a year. And if you put that into context, um, we are followed by France with 625 million. You see the difference or the volume is a lot more in Germany. And this puts Germany in the top five markets worldwide. So this is something we just found with the QSD study. I don't know if you heard about it. It was published end of last year. Right. And I think like we're, from my point of view, Germany is always a lot smaller than the US or the Asian market and all that. But within the EU, we have a big part of translation and interpreting services. But our market is sharply fragmented. Um, we have a few major LSPs at the top, and then we have some big venture capital merges the last years. And this is how the market changes in Germany. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, if you take a certain uh, view on the market, then Germany is still a traditional type of market. But Wording does most of its business in corporate communication and all its many different sides. So our customers or maybe their employees and their needs for their texts aren't quite conservative or tra traditional, I'd say. If you are in corporate communication and you're talking with like agency communication or advertising agencies, people are a lot less traditional or, yeah, let's say well, what a conservative than the rest of the market might be. So I can't right. say that we do have, if it's a, a challenge, that we have that challenge, but I understand what Andrea and Werner are referring to, of course. If I take, for example, our clients where we handle financial reports, this might be a lot more traditional, of course, and conservative. But even there, I think the work is more dynamic than it has uh, than it was even 10 years ago. If you set aside the legal requirements for the, those reports, of course, because these are still conservative and traditional. But to take another example, uh, we do have our big clients, uh, even major law firms today, they throw a text into DeepL and send it to us for a little post editing. I would hardly call that conservative or traditional anymore. What do you think? No, absolutely. They, they've embraced technology, but again, that comes at a cost. True, true, true. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. So last year was a strange exception that basically everything was changing and, and all our norms changed. And I can only hope we return to the good old days of the normal world. How did the German localization market change in response to this pandemic? Do you really think that we will get back to gold or good old days? I don't I, think so. I can hope for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. We should. I'm not sure that the market really went through a major change because of the crisis. Instead, I think that changes that were already underway were just speed up. You know what I mean? I mean, everything was a lot faster last year and things... If you, if you take digitalization, shops or companies that didn't go in or haven't been good on internet, on uh, Google ads and all these things, they had to speed up this change in their, in their strategy. And this is something that the crisis, yeah, did. But um, of course, that shook us up quite a bit because we had to very quickly implement innovat innovations that we had a set plan for. And we had to do it with less manpower because employees were working from home, taking care of their kids or were working reduced hours due to fewer contracts. So this is certainly a challenge we had to face. But ultimately, that's its own kind of change in the market without a doubt. Yes. And, and in your opinion, were the impact on localization different compared to other industries or it was expected? Oh, it was different, of course. I mean, we I don't want to compare or I can't tell for the international market or the European Union, but for Germany, for example, we have lots of industries that weren't allowed to work, like restaurants or events, uh, fairs, always like completely shut down. So we were still allowed to work. And that's something that we were or that I can say I'm really grateful for. And if you if you take our industry itself, the localization market within Germany, I think it depends on the industry, the branches that you were focusing on. For example, corporate communication. We had our difficulties, but we were still working. I mean, if there's no fair, if there's no meeting with your clients, you don't need, you're not going to uh, launch new products because you can't go any were presenting them of course right. you need less localization for all the information 
but in the end there was localization for corporate communication tax. And um, I heard from colleagues of our industry in Germany, for example, in the technical field, that they were completely taken off because no client was calling anymore. There was no contract anymore due to, for example, big companies not working anymore. They were just, yeah, locked down for six weeks or even longer. So no contract for the localization supplier anymore. So I think it depended on very much where you are set in our market. To understand the German market in a little bit more depth, let's dissect the German market to see what sectors of the economy drive localization. What has your experience been? Let me start with uh, what the QSD study released last quarter. It shows that the German market is mainly driven by industry at 31%, which is quite a lot. And um, all that industrial localization that we need here makes already 30% of all the needs we have in our country. It's followed with life sciences at 27% and then a lot of smaller ones following with around 10% of the market, which is marketing, IT and uh, gaming localization, for example, finance, law and automotive. So you can see that coming back to your question before, like if you think of 31% in industry, and the industry was cut down last year, we might see what happened uh, to our industry during the lockdown. And if I take my own company in, into comparison, we are in the marketing and communication part with 10%, which is quite a small niche if you take it, but it is necessary. So we, it's always something that companies need. They need to communicate, and that's why we were still able to go ahead. But yeah, well, driving localization, it's really our industry. It's the industrial companies we have here in Germany. They drive our localization. And if you take life sciences, I mean, it's from my point of view, it's more or less most of them are kind of industrial too, because it comes to medical things and all that. And it's an industry in the end. Right. And uh, so do you see content flowing from German and to other languages or from other languages into German, which languages are involved? I think that totally depends on the market I'm selling in. For example, our DACH region, Germany, Austria and Switzerland, our end customers are normally translating their content from German into various foreign languages. Let's say mainly it's into European languages, both East and West, but as well as Chinese, Japanese and Arabic. For our customers in the US and Canada, which are LSP colleagues, we're normally translating content from English, Spanish and French into German. And I'd say that's more or less the same for all my, yeah, for all the German LSPs or bigger ones, it's the same. If you focus on serving other LSP or MLV colleagues, then it's into German. And uh, it depends, of course, on the market where your customer is set. So if they are set in Asia, then it's, of course, from Asian uh, languages into German. And it's still going up. Yes, we see if you, if you take it in words, the amount of words each year is rising. What uh, besides what I find exciting is the increasing requests for content creation. I don't know if you have the same in Canada. Right. We do, actually. Yes, we, we get yeah. a lot of those requests. So although people aren't really aware of how much goes into that and what an appropriate price would be, customers are ready to give a writer all the time they need to make their text shine. 
when it comes to pure copywriting, but less so when it comes to adaptation and transcuration. So that's what we feel here. People ask us for content creation, but they don't want to pay the price for it. Even though if they have like the content creator in German, they get a lot of money for what they do. But if it comes to transferring that content into another language, a foreign market, then they just want to pay the price for normal translation. So we try to advise our customers on those points and clarify the differences in the services But at the moment, I'd say there's still a lot of work ahead for us. Understood. So, Christina, how integrated is the German localization industry with the other dark regions or markets that you mentioned earlier, like Austria and Switzerland? Yeah, I mean, currently it's important in corporate marketing and advertising to understand the differences between the different countries. That's, again, what I can talk about because that's what we are focusing on at Wording. Customers always have the budget to do that. And we end up having to find creative solutions for our customers to guarantee that they are reaching the target group in other Dach countries. For instance, we might work with a German reviewer living in Austria who understands the needs of both Germans and Austrians. And yeah, believe me, they can be very different. There are even huge differences between or within Germany. To to give you an example, our famous jelly donut is called a Berliner in Hamburg. But in Berlin, it's called a Pfannkuchen. And in Munich, they call it Krapfen. So even ordering a common pastry can be surprisingly complicated in the, the German language markets. And uh, if it comes to Austria and Switzerland, it's the same. It depends where you are located. So from my point of view, it would be really important to spend more money in corporate marketing between these different countries or these different dialects, let's say. Understood. And now let's let's shift our focus a little bit uh, more towards technology. Germany is an industrialized nation and frankly, a leader in technology and advancement. Do you see that reflected in the translation and localization sector? Is it being adopted fast enough? Yeah, we say that, but I think we've actually drifted away from that. Other countries invest far more in these sectors and Germany would be wise to keep up with them. All the bureaucracy and red tape makes that really hard for us. So there are a few companies and software developer, uh, developers in our sector, everybody knows them, that uh, invested quite early in innovation and the automation and digitalization of processes. One of them just got sold to an international uh, company. However, competitors from other countries are really close behind, so we can't afford to get careless. And um, from my point of view, not only in our industry, in, our, uh, in the translation and localization sector, but in the whole of German industry sector, it's really difficult nowadays with all the bureaucracy we have to keep up with uh, our competitors. What is driving people away from adopting technology fast enough, especially in the localization sector? Do you think it has to do with cost? Do you think it has to do with uh, the technology itself not being developed for um, the German localization industry consumption? What is in your mind, like why we are not adopting it fast enough? I think there, like if it comes, you can see it from different angles. Right. Of course, it has. It always has to do with investment. Like you need to have the money. And if it comes to the German market, um, we talked about being really uh, fragmented. So we do have a lot of smaller companies, and it's uh, the investments are really high if you want to play on the first hand with uh, these innovation creators. 
So that's one of the difficulties, I think. People are afraid of all these innovations. Germany is still a country, and that's something maybe to get back to one of our um, former questions, um, where we are too traditional and too conservative. We are resting on what we created after, after yeah, with the last century, the 50s and the 60s, where all these innovations were made. And Germany got uh, really on a high level concerning this industrialization and technology and advancement. But as I can see it, there are a lot of other countries investing a lot more in it and they are faster and that's yeah due to our bureaucracy and investment is not that easy here okay thank you for that answer christina in the u.s and here in canada we have few very large language services companies and a lot of small lscs that are working in the slv or some in mlv capacities how is the localization sector segmented where you are? You mentioned about fragmentation earlier, but I would like to hear from you how these companies are actually segmented. I think it's almost exactly the same in Germany as what you described in the States and in Canada. Although our biggest LSPs are not as big as those in the States or in other countries, when you, for example, factor in revenue and size of the staff, Around 270 employees is the biggest uh, one in Germany. But Germany has LSPs of every size working in SLV or MLV capacities geared towards specific sectors or open to several. So I think it uh, might be more or less the same than, than you described it for US and Canada. I see. Can you tell me a little bit about how easy it is to get started with an LSC in Germany? Are there barriers to entry? What do you need in order to get a language company started? I think you need to be willing to work hard, be passionate about languages. Yeah, I think that's more or less it. I mean, it's something that I did uh, in 2007, so it's quite some years ago. But I still remember that it was all about passion and that's it. Of course, yeah. that's, the, the, that's the essence of doing any business basically if you don't have the yeah. passion or the drive you will not be successful to be honest i don't know if i would start in our business in or in our industry again if i would uh, have to start again here in germany because um, we have a pretty turbulent market situation in the past few years i don't know if it is the same with you but uh, venture capital is being collected and anyone who isn't on their guard is getting bought out. Um, that's a little exaggerated, of course, but it's true to the kind of recent market developments. It's becoming harder for SMEs to get accounts from bigger corporations. If I think of my first years that I have been self-employed, I have been even working for the real big ones. And uh, nowadays sales are harder to make today than ever because the smaller companies like mine have a hard time keeping up with the pricing structures of these big ones. Yeah, as, as we talked about, investing in technology is far more costly for us than it would be for a major player. So the waters have uh, gotten rougher and partnerships have only become more important than ever. Absolutely. And uh, in your opinion, what drives that outside investment into the localization market? Is it, is it because traditionally it has been slow and someone is able to disrupt it with technology and more funding? Or, or is there something else that drives them to come into our industry? I think we have always flown a bit under the radar. You know what I mean? In yes. 
times nobody nobody was interested in our industry and all of a sudden technology hit us let's say it like that so and digitalization and automation they hit us so the big ones the ones with a lot of capital that want and want to invest see yeah a really good chance to make a lot of money in our industry i think that's it because processes get sharper they get faster today it is still let's say a handcraft people have to work with their hands to or with their voice to make things happen in our industry but as far as i see it technology has changed our industry within the last 10 years and even the last let's say five or four so much that it is really interesting for investors to now get into the market and pick up the best pieces the big part of the pie so without going into details or specifics christina please share some market insights about profitability and margins in germany are we still looking at the 20 to 30 percent Uh, margin mark that has become common in North America or it's different? I think that here it also comes down to the segment the LSP is working in. Wording operates in those margins, luckily. But I know other companies from colleagues that work in different segments where it is harder to reach those margins. And you have others where it's even a higher margin you can reach. So I think the more technical it gets, like the operating instructions if you're busy doing localization of operating instructions for technical companies it is something that is more or less done the longer you work for the client the bigger your tm grows and the the less the client wants to pay of course so i think that's that's a market where margins might get smaller but uh, if you take the marketing and advertising part where we are working in it's still possible to uh, reach the 20 or 30 margin mark. I see. I think it is not surprising, uh, Christina, that different countries and markets have different cultural norms and uh, requirements. How is the business to business uh, business actually conducted in the context of localization in Germany? I have to admit that I grew old apparently because it, uh, from my what I've seen it has changed dramatically in the last few years. I we talked about it earlier. So we are still a people business and sell our services by building trust with the people on the other side of the phone or email. Yeah, often we go into business on blind faith with someone we don't personally know. I mean, it's not we we can send them like a pencil to show our product in advance and they, they just have to buy out of the box. But this is exactly not knowing someone that I think has changed. It used to be pretty easy to drop in and meet a customer for a coffee when we were in the neighborhood, for example. I just called and I said, hey, tomorrow I'm in your neighborhood, I'm in the city, may I drop by and we just discuss some things. But things today seem so tightly, so scheduled, like everyone has more to do and less time to do it. Whether that's actually the case, I'm not sure. But um, it's not that easy anymore to meet your customers, to get kind of an appointment with them. And even with our key accounts, we hardly get to see them in person anymore. And as we said uh, earlier, thanks to COVID, that's completely gone for the time being, of course. So that has changed. And I think that's also changing the B2B culture in Germany. So with all of these changes, do you see any positives coming out of it? Does it mean that if you're 
able to deal with your client more remotely? Do you get to see more clients? How do you interpret these changes? Every change has its challenges and its positive sides. As I said in the beginning of our conversation, uh, I'm the person who needs to be in personal contact. It doesn't have to be sitting side by side, drinking a coffee, but I need to talk to my clients or to our suppliers, to our partners. That's something that uh, gives a personal relationship and that's something that I need to feel if the things that we are doing for our clients and customers, if, if that's what they really need, if that's what if we're on the right track, let's say it like that. That's something that we could get a, a lot more in times and it mm. has changed into, yeah, let's say like phone calls or Zoom meetings or whatever video calls. And uh, people are more open even talking um, about personal things since they sit in their home offices like you have the kid uh, running through the video or the dog is barking behind and then they say, hey, I'm sorry, it's my dog. I'm sorry, I have to. And um, so you get into another kind of personal communication, which is which is really good um, because you can always pick up that point again when you get in touch again. You know what I'm what I mean? Yes, so that, absolutely. And that's the positive thing, because, uh, yeah, in times when you when you were only on a business thing and it's it was a business meeting and then like five people sitting uh, um, in a meeting room, then it's a lot more difficult to get to know one person a bit deeper. And that's easier when you're just on the phone or when you're just a uh, one-to-one video call and everybody's sitting at home. And to your point, that has become a little bit more uh, less formal so now people are a little bit more understanding of what goes on in everyone's life so it's it's become more human if you will that the child is crying and and you're okay with that whereas before everyone had to dress up and go to a meeting and and act a certain way so i i think if you put a positive spin on it we've become more acceptable or accepting of um, other people's situations yeah 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 you're right that's definitely how it is if you get in touch with them i don't know how how you feel it um with your business partners but some of ours they, they are really open and they they want to talk to you and they they like getting in touch and so it was easy to keep up uh, the communication and it was even as you just said like easier to get into a more personal touch but then other ones they just and that's maybe then the traditional and conservative part of German businesses, they don't want to talk to you when they sit at home. They give you the exact day and hours they are in the office and then you can call and the rest of the week you can't. But that's also something you get to know your clients a lot better and uh, you can, yeah, you can uh, target these things better than, than before. So yeah, even though um, the whole world was hit by that situation, from my point of view, it had a lot of positive outcomes too. Okay. To continue on that note, Christina, for those language providers that want to expand to the German market, whether by acquisitions or just by simply uh, setting up their own footprint there, what should they consider as top priority and what should they be mindful about? Most important, no matter whom or how, you have to find the right partner you can trust and go into long-term business with. I mean, if, if you want to merge or do acquisitions, it's uh, you need to find the right person to consult for the German market. Um, if you want to just f- 
find business partners doing the work for you into German, you need the right partner you can trust. That's, from my point of view, the most important. And um, Germans have a reputation for being cold and a bit standoffish. But that's not it at all, I think. We just take our time getting to know each other. We, yeah, we need to be in touch a bit. And once we do know each other, we take it very seriously and we commit to one another. So then its partnerships can last a really long time. The Canadian market reacts to global events, but most importantly to what is going on in the US. And that makes sense because they're our biggest neighbor and trading partner. What are some of the outside influences to the German localization sector that can affect it in one way or the other? Germany is a large exporter, trading goods wherever the world takes them or to. So as soon as the global economy takes a hit, Germany takes a hit in sales of its products too. We feel this pretty quickly in our industry because localization of information starts dropping off then. And that's what we talked about earlier, about the industrial lockdown last year, for example. So that was something where what is a big influencer on the German localization sector. If trade doesn't work anymore, if our machines are not bought wherever in the world, then they don't need localization of their operating instructions and all these information around. So then we are affected in a hard way. I see. To continue that question, did Brexit have an impact on the German localization sector? I guess we'll find out the actual impact in a year or so. How does the EU affect how localization and translation is carried out in Germany? Yeah, as far as I've seen, Brexit has not really impacted demand for localization, but Brexit has also just recently come into full effect. So the effects on trade are certainly still to come, which means it will affect our localization industry too. And some of our colleagues in other sectors have definitely been hit, like in engineering, for example, because they there's has been a, a big trading between Germany and UK. So I'm quite sure that they will they will already feel it in a in a certain way. As far as I can say, my company has not felt anything about Brexit yet. If it comes to the EU set, uh, the EU, they set our rules and regulations. So of course we are affected by that. For example, ISOs and whatsoever. But I don't think of the EU as a particularly innovative body they, that, that uh, helps the LSPs do being innovative in our industry. That's always driven by companies, as I see it. On the other hand, there's a lot of translation to be done for the public sector due to the EU regulations and uh, out of the EU institutions. So everything has to be translated in all the languages the EU has. So we do have a lot of companies in Germany being busy with tenders from government agency or EU institutions. And that's where it affects then, of course, our localization and translation uh, sector. Okay. And in terms of this year and, and what we experienced last year, we have just uh, started to 2021. Uh, I can't believe it's already January is almost halfway done. And it's an exciting year for so many reasons. Uh, How does it look for the German economy and in particular for the localization sector? I really believe the most important thing now is getting the economy up and running again. Uh, I don't know if you heard it, but since early November, entire branches have been put on pause here in Germany and are not allowed to work at all. And discussing it has become extremely difficult here. 
Is it the same in Canada? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Everything yeah. is on hold. Yeah. So as a business owner, and I, I'm quite sure you you uh, you are the same. I want to work and I want to be able to offer my employees a safe workplace with everything they need. I want to make things happen and not just sit around twiddling my thumbs. So I really hope we find some solutions to these problems soon. They say that our economy is growing, even though we had the situation of COVID last year and we will still have it, from my point of view, until mid of the year, at least here in Europe. Yeah. It's entrepreneurial to think in terms of solutions and uh, even if they are not always the right solutions, it's still important to think of something and to go and get things running again. Yeah? No, I agree with you. I, I think uh, the German population, the German people are very resilient. I mean, they came out of this major disaster last time when World War II happened and, and they managed to build that structure and their economy back uh, into what it is today. But, and given the fact that the vaccines are being developed, uh, and just not just one, several one of them, and hopefully all of them will be effective. But I, I, I see your point that the businesses and economy need to be restarted. And, and that gives me hope that it will happen. And also, while everything is on hold, people still have to live. That means that there is demand for content consumption, whether uh, we like it or not, people are watching Netflix and Netflix requires localization. And I think there are ways that we need to adapt and, and it may not be the same as, as before. And you, you rightly asked me a question whether uh, we will return to normal anytime soon. And I said, I'm I'm hopeful. So with that being said, do you think that given all of these factors, Germany is headed in the right direction this year? As you mentioned, Germans are <laughs> resilient, strong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm from my point of view, we're we are waiting too long. I mean, it's I, I would I would love to be a bit faster on things, and um, of course, having a vaccine is the right way. But as far as I see it at the moment, the only solution uh, is getting everyone vaccinated, and I don't think that that is enough. Let's say let's uh, let's take an example from from my company. So. Last year, when it all started off, I was kind of uh, shocked in the in the first side, and then I and then I said, "Well, what am I going to do now? Staying like stiff and being shocked and not doing anything about my situation, or trying to find solutions for what we have here?" And then I started. Yeah, I, I was in my start. Starting blocks, I uh, went left, right, and uh, to the middle, and I uh, started picking up partnerships in the world and discussing. And in the end, I kind of feel that I, and that's something that I heard from other colleagues here in Germany of our industry too, that we kind of cleaned up our companies. We used the time that we had last year because maybe we didn't have as many contracts as before, or other ones even had more. But we, we kind of cleaned up a bit and now we're in the starting blocks and we want to get up and running. And that's something that we are a bit taken back. But I think you're right that as soon as we are, let's say, allowed again, as soon as the situation clears up, then we will be then we will be really okay and uh, that, that's something Germans are awaiting a lot. They can they can keep themselves a bit back. All the time, but when they when when the when the whistle comes and we are allowed to go, then we are running, and that's something that will, of course, push the economy forward again as soon as we 
get the, the, the as soon as the bill rings. Yeah. Christina, you just mentioned about partnerships and, and that's the right way to go. Are you thinking about partnerships this year? What and where are you looking at for broadening your horizons? Absolutely, Sultan. Absolutely. Wedding is currently entering a new partnership for our TMS for the um, CAT tool API. And in 220, I en uh, entered an incredible number of new partnerships with great LSP colleagues that helped us with our project. One of the insane benefits of digital events has been speed dating from my point of view that has put me in touch with some great new partners, as you, for example. I mean, we didn't know each other before. Of course, yes. And I've been so positively surprised by that, and it's given me hope for making more contacts this year too. On the other hand, I believe that we, the small LSPs, we should cooperate a lot more to make uh, sure we can survive the merger and acquisition wave we are facing here, at least for Europe, I would say. And on top, because you asked like for what I'm looking especially for, on top for this year, I'm looking for another kind of partner. I'm looking to give up some of my duties in the technical development. As I mentioned earlier at the beginning, I'm, I'm more involved with the interpersonal part than the technical part. I like being in contact and in touch with people. But of course, the technical part is really necessary to survive and to be innovative and yeah, to also change the company in a way it has to be changed to be up to date. So I'm looking for a partner who would be interested in getting on board with wording in this capacity. So this is calling all solution engineers or others reach out as soon as you can. I'm waiting for you. Of course. Yes. Anyone interested, please reach out to Christina directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> waiting <laughs> for that. You're welcome. What, what events and conferences are you planning to attend this year? Are there some that focus on the German market or are you looking at a global type of events that you want to attend? Both. But first of all, my greatest hope is to attend at least one live event this year. Well, we all um, want that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard to uh, wait for it. But I'm also planning on taking part in at least four digital conferences. I'm still thinking which ones they will be, but definitely an American event, uh, one German event and the NTIF. I really love that one. Have you been there once? I have not been to it, but uh, I, I, I was planning last year. Things changed. This year, I'm, I'm very hopeful that I can attend NTIF. Yeah, so we will meet in person then. Uh, well, if it, if it happens to be held in person, yes, for sure. <laughs> That's great. That being said, Christina, um, I'm sad that our uh, conversation is coming to an end, but definitely it will continue in the future. But if someone needs to reach out to you, for example, for uh, to become your technology partner or to talk about the topics we discussed in our conversation today or business in general, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? Oh, of course, I'm available by the usual channels, email, phone, video calls, LinkedIn, whatever. I'll be very excited to hear from all of them. Absolutely. Christina, I had a great time talking to you about the industry and your specific viewpoints. They're extremely valuable. Uh, I would love to have conversations with you down the road and check how things are going. Uh, I'm sure our listeners have also found uh, quite a bit of value and learning about your experiences and uh, the industry at large. So thank you for your time. Yeah, I'm very, very pleased to be here tonight. And um, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk uh, with you about our industry. It's always good to be in touch. Absolutely.
As always, I take a look at products and services that are relevant to our industry and people working in it. Today, I'm going to take a look at some open source products that have become popular in our industry. The first product I'm looking at is Project Open. It's a nice web-based platform for managing everything related to project management in a translation company. Developed specifically for the translation industry by a team of Germans in early 2000s, it has now grown and scaled up to support multiple industries including banks and so on. This product includes everything in the basic open source version that a translation company needs to operate including full project management system, resource management, budgeting, finance for accounts receivable and payable, a basic CRM component, ticket management, and much, much more. You can buy the freelancer module that allows you to manage your linguistic resources and their profiles as well as other modules separately. It is a superb product and gets a 10 out of 10 from me. The second open source product I'm reviewing today is Translate5, which is an open source cloud translation platform. A number of localization and technology companies are members of the community that drives the vision and development of this tool. This translation management system or TMS offers an in-context visual translation component which shows changes in the text in real time. It has a flexible workflow, in-country review, term portal, integrates with TMMT and other resources for real-time quick translation and offers flexibility for integration with other systems. This is a great system for a translation company to start with, but there's always some work involved in installing and maintaining it like any other open source platform. I give it a 10 out of 10. The third product that I'm reviewing today in the open source space is Omega T. A translation client developed by a team of exceptionally talented volunteer programmers and linguists, this free open source tool offers all the features needed to translate most common content types across majority of world languages. Unlike most other commercial tools, Omega T is not bloated with all kinds of features that a translator does not need, but it allows you to focus on the core functions of doing translation as best as possible. Some of the features include fuzzy matching, match propagation, simultaneous processing of multiple file projects, simultaneous use of multiple translation memories, user glossaries with recognition of inflected forms, Unicode or UTF-8 support, which can be used with non-Latin alphabets, support for right-to-left languages, integral spell checking, compatible with other translation memory applications such as TMX, TTX, TXML, SDLXLib, and interface to Google Translate. I also give Omega T a 10 out of 10. There you have it. My conversation with Christina Jackman was insightful and I learned quite a bit about how the language industry operates in Europe in general and in particular in Germany. I think there was quite a few takeaways and if you have even picked one of them to apply to your business or at the personal level, I think we have hit our target. Let me thank you for listening today. Your time is very valuable and the fact that you allocated to listen to my conversations with our guests, it is highly appreciated. Please share any feedback, comments, or constructive criticism you may have. We are all ears here. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. Also, give us a thumbs up or five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. It means a lot to us. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.